Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 298 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. Please make sure that you're subscribed and that you click on that notification bell so you never miss a live episode of the show. But if you do, Fear not, because the audio pod goes out on podcast platforms around the world. Just look for my handle, Montero on Boxing and the Neutral Corner, and you will find the show. Uh, likes, shares, subscribe, all that good stuff, okay? Uh, and I want to show you guys the uh, March issue of Ring Magazine is out, March 2022. And this has the best of 2021. Our, our 93rd annual Ring Awards are in this magazine. So um, lots of good stuff in here. Of course, our Fighter of the Year, Canelo Alvarez. You can make an argument for a couple others, but I think based on the financial uh, mechanism there behind Canelo, you got to go with him. And he's really has carried the sport. We've talked about that, right? Trainer of the Year, Eddie Reynoso. Um, he, they really got a good thing going down there in San Diego. So check out the March 2022 issue of Ring, where we have our best of 2021 in there. Okay, guys. Another thing that um, I want to share before we get into news and notes is my new website. So uh, let me pull that up. I'm sharing my screen here. Make sure I got that up. There we go. There it is, MonteroOnboxing.com. How easy is that? So I wanted to create a website where all my links, all the phone numbers, all my information is in one place because I get a lot of you guys asking, uh, you know, even including a lot of you who listen to the show, Hey, what's the number to call in? Hey, are you on Instagram? Hey, are you on this app or that app? Well, here you go. If you go to MonteroOnBoxing.com, right there on the homepage, uh, you get the info for the neutral corner boxing podcast. And, um, there's a button right here. We'll watch TNC on YouTube. <clears throat> that will take you to this, uh, this show's playlist on Ring Digital's YouTube channel. So you can catch every single video uh, version of this show that we've done with Ring. I think it goes back to July of 2020, actually. It's been almost two years now that we've been exclusive to Ring Magazine. But also I have uh, links to the audio pod here. I've got Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. And of course, we're on like 50 billion platforms. I couldn't put links to all those there. But um, if you guys think that there's other links I should add that are more relevant than Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, let me know. But down there at the bottom of the page, uh, you will see my social media links. All you got to do is click on these buttons, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. It goes to my personal YouTube channel, MonteroUnboxing um, at gmail.com. That's my email. So uh, also on this, I got a little bio that's kind of fun and stuff, but also got some merch because a lot of you guys ask about uh, MOB t-shirts, right? We've never had an official process, you know, how to order one. Well, now... You could go right to my website, go to the merchandise page. You can see the, the different colors we have right now, the different styles of the shirts. And there is an order form. It's simple. You put your name, your email address, order details, uh, which, which color you want, the, the, the size, quantity, and your preferred payment method, whether it be Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, or something else. Let me know. And then your mailing address. You could go in there. Fill that in, click send, and boom, I get it. Okay, it's that freaking simple. 
So if you guys are interested in ordering an MOBT, all you got to do is go to my site and do it there. All right. Real, real easy. And then um, I also made this site. And, and look, <clears throat> this site will develop over the years. Okay. I'm considering different things. Maybe we'll post news here one day. Maybe we'll cover fights and post news here. Maybe some of you guys out there in different parts of the country here in America and different parts of the world can cover events for MOB and submit your recaps and your news here to the site. There's all sorts of possibilities that I'm considering. Okay. We're starting small with it and we'll see what happens. But I, I have a Patreon and I have had a Patreon for a few years. And some of you guys have been outstanding supporters of the show. And you're a huge reason why the show has continued to grow and become uh, one of the best podcasts in all of boxing. Um, it's one of the most popular too um, in the United States and the UK. And we have growing profiles in places like Australia, Canada, uh, even over in the Philippines and in other parts of the world. So how awesome is that? Uh, you're a huge part of that. Thank you. But, you know, Patreon is part of an evil corporation. <laughs> and, and I just ethically, morally, I just don't want to be associated with them anymore. So I'm canceling uh, my Patreon account at the end of this month. And um, I, I wanted to make my own site that I own 100%. If you guys want to support the show, if you just want to tip the show, if you, if, you, if you hear the show today and you get a chuckle out of it or you hear a good point or something, all you got to do is go to my website, click support MOB. And there are buttons right here. There's actually these what are they, QR codes, I think they're called. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not good on the technology stuff. But look, you can click on this PayPal link. It'll take you to a PayPal page where you can put in a dollar fifty cents, whatever the hell you want. Or you can scan the Venmo code. You can scan this Zelle code. If you just want to tip the show a dollar, if you're like, yo, man, I enjoyed the show today, Mike. Here's a dollar. Boom. There you go. And you guys know I take everything that we get uh, as far as contributions go and I put it right back into what I'm doing here. Um, one of these days, I really need to just do a video on my channel showing you guys my studio setup. All the lights we got, all the soundproofing. I literally built this studio in my basement. This was just a concrete room. Uh, I put recessed lighting in here, ceiling, carpeted floors, just to absorb all the sound. But I also got soundproof stuff everywhere. All you guys see is the backdrop. You don't see the huge monitor in front of me. There's a monitor to the side of me. I got a mixer over here. Also, you know, the phone lines, the toll-free United States and UK numbers, I pay for both of those. They ain't free. And all the software to stream all this stuff, it comes from somewhere, okay? So, so every dime that we get from you guys, uh, whether it be Super Chats, whatever it is, uh, well, the Super Chats here on Ring, you know, those we kind of split. But everything that I get personally, I put it right back into the show. So I just wanted to share my website with you guys. And um, and I'll add more to this. It's simple bare bones right now. Uh, I got a bunch of photos up here that I wanted to share just from some of my boxing experiences over the years, some fun stuff. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that's it, man. Okay, let's, um, I'll stop sharing that for now because I want to get to, some news and notes, because I want to talk about this thing with oh shit. Sal in the chat says, OnlyFans? Nah, we ain't going there yet, my man. We ain't going there yet. Uh, you know, uh, that's the last resort. But 
at some point, I feel like every human being on earth will have an OnlyFans account and a podcast. And at some point, every human being will run for president. Cause I feel every time there's an election, there's like 5,000 people that are running. So yeah. Anyway, let's get to this news and notes, man. And I know you guys want to talk about this too. So I know some of you guys will definitely have opinions about this and you want to call in and talk about it. Okay. So reports breaking quote unquote reports are that, um, Anthony Joshua is apparently going to accept, or it's being discussed, negotiated. They're being very careful the way they word this stuff on these breaking reports. I think one came out from The Telegraph, one's from Gareth Davies, and both of those are reputable sources, okay? But if you actually read what they wrote, it's complete fluff. It's basically like a politician wrote it. There's nothing to it. They said a bunch of shit without saying anything, okay? But there's negotiations, apparently there's talk, of 15 million pounds step aside money to Anthony Joshua so that he he will step aside and make way for a complete unification between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. So a bunch of you guys have asked me what I think about this. And my first response to reports like this is bullshit. Most of these breaking news stories, it's just dudes trying to get clicks Right now, the boxing schedule is slow because boxing doesn't want to go head-to-head with the NFL playoffs. Why would you? So I get it. You're not going to have any big fights on the schedule until February, okay? Plus, you know, it's the first month of the year. These things take time to get rolling. So the news cycle is a little slow. But, guys, look, first of all, let me say this, okay, before we go any further. If you've been in boxing long enough, Every year, there is talk, pretty much every year, there is talk of some big super fight happening, and there's like some mysterious investor in Saudi Arabia or Malaysia or some shit that's going to put up, or United Arab Emirates or wherever the place. It's somewhere over on the other side of the world. It's never like a business firm in London or some guy in New York. It's never. It's some guy over in Saudi Arabia or some shit, right? But he's got $100 million that he's going to pony up for this big fight. Every year we get this. Last year, we all bought it, hook, line, and sinker, that Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua was a done deal, right? They were talking about that, I feel like, for months. This, of course, was before Joshua fought and lost to Usyk. This was before Fury beat down Deontay Wilder for a third time. So at that time, that would have been a full unification. And I will admit Look, at first I laughed that shit off, but I eventually got sucked into it and I started talking about it on my show and doing videos about it and really digging in and tweeting about it. And then what happens? Oh, it turns out it was all fucking bullshit. Manny Pacquiao, every single year of Manny Pacquiao's career, once he became famous, every year there was some super fight that was going to happen over in Kuala Lumpur or some shit. And some dude was going to pony up $50 million, right? Never materialized. Never. So you get these reports for, you know, these exotic locales and this big, big money and all this. So I'm always skeptical and I will report on this. Like I'm going to, I'm going to spend 10 minutes talking about it today. And if you guys want to call in and talk about it, cool, but that's it. I'm not going to do some video breaking down the matchup. I'm not going to write about it because there's nothing there yet. All that being said, if a group of investors sat down in a room and they got match room and top rank and and all parties involved. And they said, look, here's the deal. We want a complete unification fight. 
And then we want the winner of that fight to fight Anthony Joshua. We're willing to put up money for both fights, including the 15 million pounds step aside for Anthony Joshua. Whole package is $150. And guys, I'm just throwing out numbers. $150 million total. And it's for these two fights and they have to happen within this amount of time, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, that would be the best thing for boxing. That'd be the best thing for boxing fans. But it would also be the best thing for Anthony Joshua. Because what that would allow him to do is get with a new trainer, let's say Ronnie Shields, who I think would be great for Anthony Joshua. I think that'd be a great fit. And Anthony Joshua could spend the bulk of this year getting the hell out of the UK where he's pampered and coming to Houston. And all summer long, he could suffer a little bit because he needs it. He could suffer a little bit in that Texas heat training there in Houston in a gym where he's going to get real sparring from dudes who ain't going to kiss his ass. And they're going to give it to him pretty hard. <laughs> so here's the thing. Look, look, I don't get the Anthony Joshua hate. There's a lot of American fans that hate on the guy, and I don't, I don't get it. Because in terms of quality of opposition, he has the best resume in the heavy, heavyweight division post Vladimir Klitschko. It, it's really not even close. He, he's fought more top 10 heavyweights than the next like top three guys combined. That's a fact. That's that's an actual fact. Now, he's lost a couple of those fights. He's looked vulnerable in a couple other fights that he won. So some fans want to hate on him. I don't quite understand that. The dude has fought a lot of top guys. However, he has had a golden road paid for him since he went pro. He's been completely pampered. I'd argue a little privileged. Okay, I don't, I know that that word seems to trigger people. I don't mean it in a political sense. So take that shit out of it. He just has fought in a lot of controlled situations where he held all the advantages. He's not the only one, and he certainly warrants it because he's a massive star, okay? So don't get don't get all offended. But the truth is, he probably could use a little humbling and coming to a smaller market like Houston from London. Houston would be a smaller market, completely foreign territory, and working with a guy like Ronnie Shields, let's say, or whoever it is, but I'm using Houston as an, as an example here. It'd be completely foreign and completely opposite of what he's used to. And he could take the next six months or whatever it is, honing his craft, and working on things and doing one tune-up fight against a guy like, let's say, Trevor Bryant, who we'll talk about later in the show, who I don't even think is a top 30 heavyweight, I would beat most of his opponents. I'm not going to say most. I'd beat some of the opponents that Trevor Bryant has fought, seriously. And I've been told that by real dudes in the business. Um, but you could fight a guy like Trevor Bryant, who, despite his lack of resume, has a piece of the WBA belt, Right. It, it, so you do something like that to work on everything with Ronnie Shields. And then you get the winner of Fury and Usyk, whether it be late this year, early next year. <clears throat> and all this is contractually mandated. So you're protected. OK. And let's say if Tyson Fury were to beat Alexander Usyk and then he started pulling his shenanigans because the guy's kind of a charlatan, if we're being honest, and refused to fight Joshua. Well, then he gets stripped of all of his belts. You know, if something like that could be written into the contract. So Joshua's protected there. But either way, he comes out with 15 million pounds is about $20 million. So um, that would be a, a wonderful scenario. It would make a lot of sense. It really would be the best thing for all parties involved, including AJ. But guys, this is boxing. None of that shit is 
probably going to happen because it makes too much sense. What's more likely to happen is Anthony Joshua has an ego. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He is a very, very popular athlete. He's probably the most famous athlete in the UK. One of the most famous people in the UK. And he has an ego. He wants to get right back at Usyk and try to right that wrong as he sees it and get revenge for that L last year. He don't want to sit around and wait, even if he's going to get 15 million pounds. He don't want to sit around and wait. He wants to get right back in there. So his ego is involved. And then there's also Bob Arum. And what I find funny is all the people that are jumping up and down about this 50 million pound uh, step aside fee, not a dime of that would come from Bob Arum. Because I don't know if you guys have paid attention, but Bob Arum is probably the most frugal promoter in the entire sport. I could just picture Bob Arum saying, like, I'm going to pay a guy to not fight. What the fuck? Do I look like a moron? I could just hear him going off on that, right? Uh, he's not that kind of guy. I've never known Bob Arum to pay step-aside money to somebody, uh, especially a guy he doesn't represent. I just don't see him being involved in that at all. Um, so, so, and then let, let's also, let's not forget this. Uh, there's, there's a complicated situation with the WBC, Dillian White, mandatory situation with Tyson Fury. So you have all that wrapped up. And, and there's this thing called a contract, right? A piece of paper like this that says Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk have to do it again. So you have all those complications. And then all these belts, all these mandatories, and then <laughs> the network stuff. Because uh, Tyson Fury fights on a different network, a different platform than Anthony Joshua does. So you have all these complications. Therefore, for those reasons, and even more I can name, I don't think anything's going to come of this shit but I've been wrong before. I would love to be proven wrong in this scenario because it means complete unification in the heavyweight division. One last point on this, and then we'll move forward. You guys have to stop star fucking the belts. Stop over. Stop amplifying the the importance of these belts. It really doesn't matter if one belt's involved or none of them or all of them. If the two best fighters in a division are fighting each other, that's the champion, right? Right now, the two best heavyweights in the world are Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. It just so happens that between them, Fury has one belt, or two if you include the real belt, the Ring Magazine Championship, and then Usyk has three. So it just so happens that if the two of them fought right now, it would completely unify all these belts. But don't be surprised if and when those two finally do fight, if they ever do really fight, and Usyk might get stripped of one of his belts. Fury might get stripped of one of his belts. He might become a franchise champion. They, the, the WBC might do um, uh, the heavyweight division the way they did the lightweight division, right? And you have a situation where Dillian White becomes the WBC champion through an email or something. Or maybe somebody else. And Tyson Fury is the franchise champion. So even if Fury and Usyk fight, there are going to be people all over Twitter. I got a, a little bit into it last week with Dan Raphael about this. But there are going to be people on Twitter saying like, oh, this isn't undisputed. No, no, he ain't, they got to fight Dillian White. Right? There's going to be those people in, in that scenario. So stop over-glorifying these belts. 
just look at who's the number one, who's the number two. Let's get those two guys in the ring. That's your motherfucking champion. Okay. That's it. That's really it. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> okay. I don't see any super chats, so we're going to move forward uh, with the next. We're going to do a review preview. I got some things to say about this upset special in uh, Atlantic City Saturday. And I'm going to have to share my screen some more <laughs> with some stuff. Um, okay. Saturday, January 22, PBC on Showtime from the Borgata Hotel Casino in Atlantic City, TGB Promotions with another PBC show. Um, on the undercard, Tugsat Nyambayar, the Mongolian Los Angeles-based fighter, gets a split draw with last-minute replacement Sakaria Lucas from Namibia. More and more fighters coming out of Namibia in the last uh, few years. Uh, this was a featherweight fight, of course. Uh, King Tug was at 130 in his last fight, moved back down to 126 for this fight. He is 1-2-1 and one in his last four. And uh, he was supposed to fight Vic Pasillas, who I think stylistically <clears throat> he would he would have won that fight. At least I feel he would have. But uh, Lucas replaced him when Pasillas tested positive for the vid. So um, Lucas comes in and plays spoiler in the sense that he held King Tug to a draw. But, man, King Tug won two and one in his last four. And this dude's been matched tough. They're using him a lot over there to match tough with a lot of their guys. And he's been willing to fight all these guys, but he's come up short. I hope he doesn't become one of these guys that gets screwed for that because he's been fighting uh, a tough opposition. Also, uh, in the co-main, Subriel Matias with a ninth-round retirement win over Patro, Petros An Anayan. Uh, this was a rematch, a 140-pound rematch. Anayan won their first fight back in 2020. Uh, there was a knockdown, I believe, and the uh, the referee called it. I think that was the appropriate uh, thing because it looked like Anayan was getting beat up. Matthias, of course, has that tragic history with uh, Maxim uh, Dalashev. So I thought this was a good stoppage. I was good with it. Main event, upset special. Mark Maxayo approves the 24-0. Uh, out of the Philippines, wins a majority decision that should have been unanimous over Gary Russell Jr., takes his WBC featherweight belt. So the scores for this fight were way too close. Uh, two judges had a 115-113. At least they had the right winner. But Judge Lynn Carter out of Philadelphia, just a stone's throw away from where Gary Russell's from. All right, maybe maybe a little more than a stone's throw, but not that far away from where Gary Russell's from. Uh, Philly Judge with some very favorable scoring had this a draw somehow. Um, let's look at Gary Russell. and let's, let's talk about this thing because suddenly Gary Russell Jr. has become a sentimental favorite for everybody on boxing Twitter um, because I think of uh, several things, okay? But he came into this fight injured. Apparently his right shoulder, now remember he's a southpaw, so that's the lead hand. Um, it was compromised when he came in. He claimed that he injured it uh, severely, that he tweaked the injury in the fourth round. Magsayo and his side, um, they, there's evidence that they've shown where they landed a hard punch on the right shoulder that they say tweaked it. Or they, they haven't outright said that, but there are people on Twitter that have said that on the Magsayo side. I've seen video where he did like a really hard punch on that right shoulder and uh, Russell winced right after it. So however the damn injury happened, it was clear that Russell did not come in 100%, but the injury 
um, was tweaked during the fight, probably in the fourth round. However, in the first few rounds, McZiah was already ahead. I thought he was already winning the fight early on. Uh, so Russell just didn't look great at all. And he fought well enough to uh, last the 12-round distance. A lot of other fighters would have found a way out. A lot of fighters wouldn't have even shown up and would have delayed the fight with an injury. However, after the fight, Gary Russell Jr. said that he was injured. This was a, an injury from the Olympics that he had back in 2008. Okay, so he's talking about this went back over a decade and he's been fighting with this injury. So you've been able to get by fighting with this injury your entire professional career because he's claiming now that this injury goes back to the amateurs, to the Olympics. So let me get this straight. You were able to fight with this injury and be a world champion, quote unquote, a title holder, as I would call it. Uh, hold a title for what, six, seven years, hostage, basically. Show up and fight once a year and do well enough to beat pretty much anybody else in the division that wasn't named Vasily Lomachenko. Never tweaked this injury in a fight before because we've never heard him complain about it. He's never fought like this before in a fight. And now, suddenly, 14 years later, now it compromised you in a fight. I don't know, man. That, that just isn't how this works. First of all, if you had a major injury, if this was a major injury, if you had a right shoulder injury, okay, this is the same injury that goes back to 2008. You've had over a decade, and he's made millions of dollars in the ring. You've had over a decade to get surgery, and it's not like you're an active fighter. In fact, Gary Russell Jr. didn't fight at all in 2021. Not at all. So he could have got surgery. Over, it's been two years since he fought. This was his first fight since the pandemic. Because remember, I think it was in 2020, just before the pandemic hit, he fought. And a lot of people thought, man, maybe Russell will fight twice this year. Then the, then the COVID thing happened, right? So it has been two years since he fought. He could have got surgery on that shoulder, cleaned everything up, whatever's going on in there, bone spurs or whatever's going on, uh, tendon that's messed up and never healed quite right. Whatever you got to do, he could have did it. So it's difficult for me to accept the, I would consider it excuse of, oh man, this is an injury that goes back to 2008. I've been dealing with it this whole time. It just happened to blow up on me in this particular fight. Uh, but I'm a warrior and I went through with this fight anyway because I'm a warrior. The real reason that Gary Russell Jr. went through with this fight, the real reason why the commission allowed him to go through with this fight, the real reason why the promotion, because everybody involved in this promotion knew about this injury coming in. Everybody. Okay. The reason why they allowed it to go on is to get paid. Nobody gets paid if the fight don't happen. And even a lot of these commissions, the way it works is they get a, uh, a percentage of the purse. Every Commissions are different, okay? Sometimes it's a flat fee for their services, whatever. But sometimes you get uh, um, a cut, if you will, of the entire promotion, the, the money that comes in, right? Um, and then sometimes there's a cap and everything involved. It's different with different jurisdictions. But for Russell and his whole team, and again, he hadn't fought in two years. Hadn't fought since the pandemic. 
Nobody would have got paid if he wouldn't have fought. That's why he went through with the fight. So I like Gary Russell Jr. I think he's a very good fighter. And for years, I have considered him the best featherweight in the world. I know he's gone through a lot outside the ring with his family recently, uh, particularly with his father, who seems to be a really good man. The Russells seem to be like just good people, a, good, a great family. They always seem cool, humble, awesome, cool people. So I want to root for him, but considering everything I just said, it's really difficult for me to feel sorry for you. You showed mad heart by finishing the fight. Um, you went through with it when a lot of other people wouldn't, especially when they really tweaked that injury. I got you. But you can't have it both ways. And and again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, first of all, I'm not going to feel sorry for you, but also um, you don't score fights based upon your sentimental feelings toward a fighter or wow, look at the heart they're showing. And that's what's going on on Twitter. There's a lot of people on Twitter saying, man, that fight was a draw, man. Russell won that fight. I, what the hell are you people watching? And a lot of I've seen people literally saying he won that fight because um, you know he was able to fight with one arm. Look what he did with one arm. This dude couldn't knock him out. And he had one arm. That doesn't mean he won the damn fight. So it's just I have to sh I have to share one tweet in particular from my man Schoon TV, who um, I've had a couple of run-ins with this guy, and he's his boxing takes are so bad. <laughs> They're just, and I like Schoon. Uh, a lot of the way he, he, some of the things he covers politically, I like him. I don't agree with everything, of course, but man, his boxing takes are bad. I had this, and I, I shared this with bad boxing takes, which is a, a handle on Twitter that uh, shares a lot of stuff. And they, they wouldn't share this one. I don't know why it's under new management apparently, but check this out. Okay. So Schoon says Gary Russell Jr. Lost to Mark Max, uh, uh, Maxayo last night. Russell is a talented fighter, but he does himself no favors with his inactivity. Okay, so far I'm on board, dude. Good shit. But then he continues. Russell came into this fight injured and aggravated his shoulder in the fourth round. Maxayo was unimpressive, but Russell was bad for business, so he had to go. That last sentence is where you lose me. And he, and he I should state, uh, for those of you listening on the audio, uh, he capitalized, all caps, business. Right. So, so there's some conspiracy in this because what he's saying basically here is uh, Maxayo didn't win that fight, but because he's better for business or because Gary Russell Jr. is bad for business that, you know, they robbed him. That's essentially what he's saying here. So. All right, let me go here. I want to show you guys what I had to say. I uh, retweeted him with a quote. Right. So you could quote tweet. And so I said, uh, Russell clearly but closely lost that fight. He came into the fight injured but made the personal choice to fight so that he and his team could get paid. And then I hashed, or not hashtag, uh, parentheses, I said, bad for business, but was allowed to hold on to a world title without fighting for two years. Schoon responds, I'm no Russell fan. He should fight more and talk less. Having said that, I'm consistent. I think you got to take a title from the champ. On Valor alone, Russell deserved a draw for keeping it close with one hand while champion. I will also say he hasn't done much to endear himself. That No, dude, Schoon, that's not how you score fights. 
And this is my, like, Scoot has a big profile. Let me see how many follow. Okay, 28,000 followers. He has a pretty big following. And he's tweeting out this kind of stuff. So, so, and he's a casual fan. His followers are casual fans. I get it. But you can't tweet out stuff like that. Like, that's irresponsible, dude. That's not, on Valor alone, Russell deserved a draw. Not how you score fights, dude. Nope. Not how you score fights. And then down here, um, some other dude jumps in and basically says, um, you don't win rounds for missing punches and getting hit on the button by straight lefts from a one-armed fighter. Well, I don't know what fight this guy was watching because that only happened a handful of times. He says, Russell's inactivity is fair game, but most either don't know or ignore what's often the cause of it, at least in recent years. Well, I, I would guess, you know, this guy is hinting to the fact that I think a lot of fighters have avoided fighting Russell, but there's some reasons for that. It's not a one-way street, and this guy certainly doesn't know what I know. Schoon responds and says, there's a pattern with these guys. So now I'm these guys, okay? That's why I wanted to share this with you guys. I'm these guys. He says, there's a pattern with these guys. All I saw was Magseo missing. He looked like a bum. Huh. He throws out the B word. Then he says, this man is a boxing writer, and he showed me punch stats as if watching the fight isn't good enough. They're pretty consistent with who they're against every time. Dude, and, and like I sent this to bad boxing takes, and they won't share it. I don't know why, but that that's so bad, dude. That's, that's so bad. And, and he's insinuating all these things about me when clearly he has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Now, I did share CompuBox stats, and I'll share them here with you guys, not because they're my favorite thing on earth, but because in this particular instance, they do give a, an indication, a very, very strong indication as to how one-sided this fight became. Now, I'm not even going to go through the round-by-round round or anything. I just want you guys to look here at the very, very bottom. Russell landed 69 punches, including 15 to the body. He threw 323 punches. Magsayo, 150 of 543. So he threw over 200 more, landed uh, twice as many, more than twice as many, including 26 body shots to 15 for Russell and a higher connect percentage. Look at the power punching landed. Jabs, they were equal, okay? Um, Russell was way more accurate with his jab, but he landed 11. Magsayo landed 10, okay? So neither guy was very active with the jab. But look at the power punching. And I, that's all I'll say about CompuBox because I know it drives you guys nuts. I get it. All right. But in this particular instance, it, it is relevant to, to bring up the CompuBox. And I, there's people out there that are pissed off about this fight, uh, the, the, the judging and the going to Magsayo. And I should, I should note that there is more back and forth between me and Schoon. And he actually said that... Um, he believes, he believes that because Magsayo is Filipino, he brings more money to the table because they're going to make him like the next Manny Pacquiao. And that's why the PBC robbed uh, Russell and gave Magsayo the win. This guy has no earthly idea what he's talking about. None. Uh, Magsayo, Russell doesn't have a very big platform. But it's certainly a bigger platform than McSayo. And historically, you know, if we go back, I want to talk about this. So after the loss to Lomachenko, and remember in that fight against Lomachenko, Russell, there was one judge who had it a draw. 
Russell has been one of the more protected fighters in recent years from the WBC and from the uh, politics of, of boxing, right? Um, but he comes back, gets a TKO4 win over Johnny Gonzalez in 2015, right? He lost to Loma in 2014. His activity level dropped precipitously after losing to Lomachenko because when he was a prospect, he did fight more often. He got twice a year. But after that, activity level fell off. Nothing like a loss to change your activity level, right? Some guys get more active after a loss. He got less active. Anyway, his defenses were against Patrick Highland, Oscar Escandone. Joseph Diaz was a good defense. That was a good win. But also Kiko Martinez, that win looks better now. But what level was Kiko Martinez at when they fought? And King Tug, that resume, pretty weak. The two guys, the two legit dudes that Russell fought were Lomachenko, who decisively beat him. I don't care what that one judge said, having it a draw. Again, who was being protected there? Business-wise, Schoon, it was Russell. Um, and then Joseph Diaz Jr., who, who Russell clearly beat, okay? So he does have one good win, one top win. He has said for years, all these guys are ducking me. Nobody wants to fight me. That is true to an extent, but there's also a flip side to that. Gary Russell is one of these guys that has a certain pay scale that he wants, right? A certain uh, fight purse guarantee, and he ain't going to dip from that. This is my rate, dude. You pay me at my rate or I ain't showing up. That's one of the biggest reasons why he fights once a year because his management cannot justify paying him. They overpay him. They can't, they can't pay him the amount of money they pay him and pay a, a top opponent to get in there and fight him because he doesn't draw. He doesn't bring in that kind of money um, to, to what he wants. Now, if Gary was really serious about wanting to get active in building up his profile, he could take short money. And I say this all the time, and some of you guys will laugh at that, but there's plenty of fighters doing it. I've talked about who's done it in recent years and how it's worked for them. You could, if, if your guarantee, let's say, is a million dollars, right? Well, you could take half a million dollars and fight a lower level opponent at a small venue. Maybe it's even untelevised, or maybe it goes to Showbox instead of Showtime or something like that. Maybe it just goes to the Showtime app. I don't know. But so, something like that, I don't even, I, the Showtime app, for, forget that, because I don't think they do live streaming. But maybe it goes to Showbox, whatever it is. But you take half a million, right? And you, So you can get active. And you have one premium fight a year at a million, and then a stay busy fight at half a million. More of these guys could do that. They choose not to. So that's on them as well. I can't feel bad for you. The truth is, you kind of held this belt hostage. And you were allowed to hold a belt for two years without defending it. So again, who's being protected here? Who's getting uh, the benefit from the business to go to Schoon's point in his tweet? I just had to bring that out there, guys, because I I, I had to show you those tweets because, and I, trust me, I could have showed you more because I've gone, I've gone back and forth with that guy. I saw one of you guys in there saying that he's a, he's a troll. He's not a troll. Um, he's a legit dude, and I like some of his stances when he talks about the mainstream media. And I think that's maybe why he goes in at me, because he sees me as being a writer for Ring Magazine. And maybe he just sees me as a typical media guy. I don't know. But 
it, it, it cracks me up when dudes who clearly don't know what they're talking about, okay? And you're talking to a guy that covers this sport every day. I'm digging in this sport every day. I'm not saying I know everything, but I know a lot, and I'm pretty plugged into the boxing scene. Dude, you're coming at me like you know more, and you clearly are just embarrassing yourself. It just uh, – Good times. All right. There was a couple super chats. I'm sorry I missed you guys. Let me get back and make sure that I hit all these real quick. And then we'll get into the preview. And then we'll get into some calls. My man, Torian Falk with the super chat. Thank you so much, sir. He says, I'm so glad Gary Russell Jr. lost. Happy the WBC belt is now free. Uh, freed uh, Leo. Oh, now feed Leo to Maxeo so we could get a real movement in that division. Free the featherweights. Dude, you know what? That fight could happen. I mean, PBC-wise, um, politically, that fight could happen. Leo has a fight coming up. Should he win, which he will, that's a setup for him. Him and Max Sale, that would actually be a unification fight. I like it. That's a really good idea. And Max Sale would probably plow through Leo at this stage. I agree with you. Sam A with the super chat. Thank you very much, sir. He says, was not impressed with Maxeo, loops his shots and kept running into left hands, knowing his right was damaged, never hurt Russell. Yeah, I hear you. I wasn't overly impressed with Maxeo. I wasn't, I wasn't overly impressed with Russell. I knew who he was coming in, and I figured, even fighting with one hand, that he could survive against most guys. Could he survive against like Navarrete or someone like that? Probably not. But against Maxeo, yeah, he could. And so, so that didn't surprise me. Uh, Maxeo, yeah, I'm with you, man. I do think he buzzed Russell a couple times. The guy that he rocked him a little bit, got his attention, but you're right. He never hurt him. And he, he's limited. The, the guy was, I talked about this last week during the preview. He was making a huge leap in his level of opposition. Huge, right? He had never fought anybody on Russell's level. So there were some growing pains he was going to have in this fight, even though he was only, you know, had one hand. But Russell is still one of the more talented little fighters in all of boxing. He truly is. And at 100%, I would favor him to beat Maxeo in a rematch. I really, truly would. But maybe, maybe Maxeo can learn from this and get a little bit better and go back to the drawing board and, and bring an, an extra level himself into a rematch. That would be interesting. I'd like to see it again. If Russell can actually get his shoulder healthy, and actually do it again this year, <laughs> fighting twice in a year, you know, get, get the surgery, get it worked out, rehab over the summer, and then these two fight again in the fall. I'd check that out. I think that'd be a fun fight, man. All right. I know I saw another one in here. Let me make sure. Oh, yeah. Here we go. A couple more. Mark Ashley, thank you very much. He says, uh, commentators were blatantly biased for Russell. Injury or not, he was outpointed. Robbery is a joke. You don't win because you did well with an injury. But yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's what I was trying to say to, to that guy on Twitter. And he was going, no, 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 you writers, you, you guys do this and do, you know. And suddenly I'm part of this like conspiracy group of people that are protecting Magseo because he's such a big name because he's Filipino. What an idiot. <laughs> God, that's just, I'm thinking of um, wedding crashers. When Will Ferrell, that one scene where he's talking about, like, he comes downstairs, he's at his mom's house, and he just slept with that girl whose boyfriend just died, and he's, he was talking about how he died hang gliding. He's like, what an idiot. He's just laughing at him. 
That's how I feel with this dude on Twitter. <clears throat> Sam A with another super chat. Thanks again, man. Uh, he says, by the way, I do believe Magseo clearly won, just not impressed with his power and misses against an injured guy. Great points. Yeah, and see, Sam says it all because even though he wasn't necessarily impressed with the kid, he saw that he clearly won. You don't have to be impressive to win all the time. It depends on the situation. But I will say this, man. Uh, he missed a lot against an injured guy, yes. But he lost. He missed a lot against an injured guy who's got way more experience than him and one of the better defensive uh defensive-minded, skilled fighters in the lower weight division. So that didn't surprise me much. I think I think a lot of you guys put too much into um, just because a guy's injured, he should be stopped. I, I don't know about that. It depends on the situation, the styles. It also depends on the injury. If you have a torn knee, yeah, you're probably not going to be able to finish a fight like that. But if you have a torn shoulder and you're pretty slick defensively, and you're in there against an inexperienced guy, you might be able to last the distance. And I think Russell showed just how skilled and how good he is by doing that. Still lost a damn fight, though. And, and I thought eight rounds to four was just. These guys that had it, 115-113, and one judge had a draw, that was crazy. You could score this fight 9-3. <clears throat> All right, another super chat from Tony. Nebhard, thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate that, brother. Is that you holding that trophy? I can't see in that picture. That's your trophy. Well done. And um, it's just a super chat. No comment. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very, very much. Okay. That's enough about that. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the phones. Let me get to a real quick preview, guys. And then we'll go to these phone calls, all right? So we got some action this weekend, but nothing huge. Because we have uh, NFL, uh, well, actually, the NFL playoffs, both games are Sunday. But I think so many people are dialed into, like, the NFL playoffs. You're just not going to have the best fights on right now. Uh, Thursday, January 27th, sexy Sergio Martinez is fighting in Madrid. Um, I don't like this. I don't think it's going to end well. But it's his life. It's his body. So you go, you go, Sergio. Uh, go for it. Saturday, January 29th, two cards of note, uh, Hard Rock Casino, Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Top Rank is having a show there on ESPN+. And the main event, uh, Brazilian Robson Consecao going up against uh, Sacramento, California native Xavier Martinez. Uh, Conseco is 33 years old. And he's 16 and one. Martinez is 24 years old, 17 and 0, but hasn't faced quite the level of op. Actually, he's fought a couple of good guys. This is uh, 10 rounds, 130 pounds. Conseco is coming back. This is his first bout since his first pro loss to Oscar Valdez last September. And then in Warren, Ohio. I, I never knew there was a war in Ohio. I know there's a war in Michigan because growing up in Detroit. Uh, Warren is a little section just outside of Detroit. So I know of Warren. I want to say Eminem lived there for a while. <clears throat> anyway, Don King Productions. Yo, Don King Productions is putting on a show at the Packard Music Hall in Warren, Ohio. What? <laughs> By the way, I didn't know uh, where this is going to be broadcast because it's not on TV or anything, right? So I went to Don King's website. And, duh. 
I thought I traveled back 30 years. I mean, it, it looks like it's from the 1990s. You guys go to Don King's website. It, you know what? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll share my damn screen again because let me see. I think it's Don King Productions. Don King Productions. This website is so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, hold up. I got to share this with you guys. And I'm not, I'm not trying to hate. I'm, I'm just saying, man. You guys need to update your shit, man. All right, check this out, guys. Look at these graphics. <laughs> look at the colors. Look at, like, there's nothing going on, on the side, right? The colors are dull as hell. Dull as hell. You, you got this bad fight poster right here. And um, that's it. There's not even, like, a table of contents. There's a little home button, and then you just scroll down. And then there's a bunch of stuff jumbled together here. Look at the 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 orange and gray just has a 1990s boxing forum kind of look to it. Like those old school chat rooms where you go in there and talk shit. That's what this looks like. And um, I love it. It just says popular posts, random posts, latest posts. Wow. Anyway, yeah. So it, and it says it's going to be on iTube, this card. I don't know. Uh, what I love, they got a Trevor Bryan WBA champion. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know what the hell iTube is, but I do know this is going to be on Fight TV. All right. So those of you, if any of you sick bastards out there want to watch this, and you got to be a sick bastard to want to watch this, it is on Fight TV. But we're going to get a, um, a heavyweight showdown and a cruiserweight showdown. So. The cruiserweight showdown, Ilonga Jr. Makabu, a fighter who uh, originally from the Congo, but now uh, fights and lives out of Johannesburg in South Africa, going up against fellow South African Tabiso Munchu or Machunu. And this is for Makabu's WBC cruiserweight title. This is a rematch. These two actually fought in 2015 in South Africa, and uh, Makabu won by KO 11. So, it took them seven years later, but they're getting the, the rematch. Um, this fight's decent. It, it's decent. But it'd probably be a lot bigger. I, I'm just, stay with me here, guys. I, I'm going to reach on this one, okay? I'm really, 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 really going to reach here. I think this fight would be bigger in Africa than war in Ohio. I don't know. You got a guy from the Congo, a guy from South Africa. <laughs> they're fighting in war in Ohio. Seven years after their first fight. Yeah, this would probably be bigger over there. I don't know. But maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Maybe I've been I've been considered crazy before. So, you know, hey, I've been called all sorts of things. Um, let's talk about Macabu briefly, right? Because uh, it was only, what, a month or so ago where we were being told he was going to fight Canelo Alvarez. Canelo was going to move up to 190 and fight him. And so we had a bunch of... Uh, people trying to tell us how great of a challenge that would have been for Canelo and how great of a fighter Makabu is. Makabu, and I'm, I'm not hating on the dude. He's a qual he's a proven top 10 cruiserweight. Right now he's probably in the top five because cruiserweight after the top two or three fighters is pretty weak right now. The top guys moved up to heavyweight and that division's kind of in the same place the featherweight division's in. The only difference is there's a legit champ at cruiserweight. Marius Bradis is the legitimate cruiserweight champ. Featherweight's a complete catastrophe. It's a mess. But um, cruiserweight's kind of in a similar boat right now. They need to um, 
start unifying belts and stuff. Anyway, Makabu uh, TKO won in his pro debut in 2008. Hey, these things happen. He, props to him for getting right back in there and continuing the fight. Not only did he lose his pro debut, but it was TKO one. That's that's rough. Um, eight years later, in 2016, this was after he beat Muchuno in 2015, the first time, right? TKO three lost to Tony Bellew. Now he dropped Bellew in that fight, but he ended up losing. His best win of his entire career came in 2000, where he fought for the vacant WBC belt against Polish's uh, Poland's Mikhail Szyslak. Szyslak. Szeslek, I'm probably butchering that. The Polish names are tough, man. But um, that's his best win. Now, if any of you out there haven't heard of Szeslek, don't feel bad. No one else has. Okay. That's his best win. So to put the, actually, maybe Machunu <clears throat> would be his best win. But I'd say that the fight against the Polish guy because he won a vacant title there. So that's why I consider that his best win. Machuno has lost five times. He's been stopped three times. His best win is over an ancient version of Dennis Lebedev. Remember him? That was unanimous decision in 2019. So it's a fun fight in terms of the matchup and everything else. I kind of feel bad for these guys because, again, they should be fighting over in their part of the world where people know who they are. Like in South Africa, this would be a... a Notable fight, right? And maybe with the COVID situation and everything else, they couldn't do it there. I'm not sure what the situation's like over there in Johannesburg, but Warren, Ohio. <laughs> I, I just, I kind of feel bad for these guys, man. I feel like they deserve better. But also on this card, Trevor Bryan, 21 to 0, defending his WBA. I can't even remember what version of the damn belt he, he has, some version of the WBA heavyweight belt, which is insane, man. I mean, the WBA is such a fucking joke. By the way, I should mention, uh, the WBA proudly announced today that they're mandating a fight between Gervonta Davis and Raleigh Romero because that is the fight we all want to see, right? But if you guys had any doubt in your mind just how in bed with each other the PBC and the WBA are, and the, the WBC, they do a lot of business with the PBC too. But the WBA is like the side chick that doesn't even get taken out on a date on Friday night. She's the Tuesday night, midnight side chick that doesn't even get fucking Applebee's on Friday night. Like the Friday mistress at least gets to go to Applebee's. Maybe you'll go to a movie before you go home and do what you got to do, right? The wife gets Saturday night. The WBA for the PBC is the Tuesday night chick where it's like, I'm, I'm going to drive over there and not tell anybody about this, knock this shit out, drive back home, scrub, <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> That's what the WBA is right now for the PBC, right? If you had any doubt, okay, the fact that they sanction or mandate a fight between Gervonta Davis and Raleigh Romero, everybody remembers it wasn't that long ago that the PBC tried to make that fight and then things happen outside the ring for Romero. And it looks like he was uh, vindicated and all that. He, he maintained his innocence and it looks like he was innocent. So, so good for him, but the WBA, man, they are, they are soldiers. They are soldiers for uncle Al mandating that. But anyway, somehow Trevor Bryan holds a piece of their belt because I guess Don King still has Polaroids of somebody at the WBA in, in a compromised position. And so they, they did that for that for him. He's going up against a 17-0-2 fighter from Louisiana, Jonathan Guidry. Guidry. 
Now, if you never heard of him, don't feel bad. I haven't either. Nothing against him. I'm just saying. I did notice Trevor Bryan is, I believe, 6'4", something 6'4", 6'5", maybe. And um, Guidry is 5'11", and about 250 pounds. So I'm thinking, again, I'm reach, I might be reaching here, guys. I'm thinking this might be a showcase fight. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking this might be a showcase kind of matchup. Um, but yeah, the embarrassment of the WBA. Hilarious. And I, I, I've looked at Trevor Bryan's resume. There are several opponents there that I would feel comfortable fighting. Seriously. And I suck. And I'd feel comfortable fighting them. Oh, boy, the WBA. God damn. They're just, they're just endless entertainment. Endless entertainment for us to troll and laugh at. All right, one quick super chat, and we'll jump to these phones. Uh, Tony with another super chat. Thanks again, Tony. He says uh, his brother beat Ennis three times in the amateurs. Any thoughts? Whose brother? Whose brother? Oh, you're talking about Russell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so you're talking about, I think, Gary Antoine Russell. You know, the thing is, man, um, it's the amateurs. I haven't looked at the timing of those fights, but people so people talk about like Sean Porter beating Alexander Usyk in the amateurs, right? Um, if you look at when they fought, Sean Porter had been fighting for several years, and I think it was within the first year of Usyk fighting. So Porter had so much more experience, and Usyk lost like five of his first 10 amateur fights. It might have be, be more than that, like six of his first 12 or something. So, yes, technically speaking, Sean Porter beat Alexander Usyk, but at the time they fought, I wouldn't put too much weight into that. It's the same thing with Savannah Marshall and Clarissa Shields. Clarissa Shields was still a, a girl. She was still a, a kid. And Savannah Marshall was a grown woman when they fought. So I think in the pros, a fight between them would be way more interesting, way more competitive. And Shields would probably be the betting favorite going into that fight. So I don't put too much into it that Russell beat Ennis three times in the amateurs. You got to look at the timing of these things. You got to look at what age they were and the level of experience they had coming in. All I know is so far, the, the one question I have about Boots Ennis is, can he catch? We know he can pitch. He's got every punch in the book. Looks great, but he hasn't been in there against the guy that's going to really hit him with something hard. And so that's the one thing I want to know about him. And at some point, we'll get that question answered. All right, guys, let's go to the phones. Uh, we got, wow, we got a few of you guys on here. Okay, uh, we'll get to as many of these as we can, all right? Uh, we'll go to 570 first. 570, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike. Great thing about the uh, the sanctioning bodies that you're, you're all over the um, – if it were up to the WBA, we wouldn't have had the Kansas City game last night. We would have had the Detroit Lions versus Jacksonville. That's, yeah, that's, that's the point. way that these people mandate fights. Yeah, and it's been going on for a long time. I'm, they're based out of South America, and they always used to have a mandated South American fighter that that no one heard of. So it, it's it's been a constant. And HBO tried to eliminate the sanctioning bodies. If you don't, if you remember, oh in the early 2000s, they, HBO said, we're not going to announce any fight um, pertaining to a, a sanctioning belt. Yep. We're just going to call it either a championship fight or whatnot. So HBO did their best to try to eliminate the, the bodies. And a lot of fighters at that point were giving up belts. Uh, Darius Mikulczewski, he gave up 
he was uh, unified camp, WBA, IBF, and WBO. After he beat Virgil Hill in unification, he gave up those belts and kept the WBO. And then Roy Jones ended up capturing all those vacant belts. Mm-hmm. And they called him undisputed, which technically he wasn't. But um, the, the sanctioning bodies were getting phased out. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ring Magazine tried by creating the ring belt. Well, not creating it, but, you know, uh, reinvigorating it to the public. Because that, that was the belt that Michael Spinks held when he fought Mike Tyson. He was the Ring Magazine champion. He was the lineal champ. And they did their due diligence, but the sanctioning bodies are like the cockroach. You know, they're going to they're gonna survive a, a nuclear holocaust. And unless the public stops buying into the, the, the belt crap, you know, you could, you could crap in your hand and, you know, say, hey, you two guys in the corner, you could fight for this, this crap belt, and, and you're the champion of the, of the street corner. You're the crap belt champion that's what it is okay you have maybe the ibf and wbo are the only two credible belt bodies out there and it's just a shame you know people put so much credibility that's the casual fan out there that that just don't know anything but i digress so let's let's get back to the you know the real meat and potatoes here with gary russell this past week and i i really wanted to call friday because i wanted to tell people hey it's a live dog mcsio he's he's a four to one underdog and uh, Russell's already making excuses. Comes in overweight. He has. He said he had an injury. Forgot, blah blah yeah. blah. I forgot to mention that he was overweight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the so the odds were were pretty ripe. You know, I got him at plus two thirty. You know, to win, but you know, taking him by KO, uh, it was plus six hundred. And decision, he was plus seven fifty because nobody really thought he could make you know win a decision because we saw Gary Russell get a draw verdict by some corrupt judge against Lomachenko who literally dog walked him for 11 rounds uh that that fight and somehow it ended up being a majority decision for Lomachenko 115-113 like just ridiculous scorecards Lomachenko ran away with that fight mm-hmm. so Gary Russell's already been a favorite when it comes to the judges and and that lady judge from Philly boy I tell you calling that fight a draw that that's just irresponsible it makes me wonder if you know judges are scoring um, backpedaling back foot fighters more so than, than ever. It, it seems since the Mayweather era, that's, the, that's been a, a scoring tactic. I think it was the sentimental thing because it's like, wow, this guy's fighting with one arm and, and look how he's surviving. Mm-hmm. But you can't grade on the yeah. curve, man. You got to grade on who won the round, you know, and, and that's the thing. Maxayo won the round. Absolutely. And I think that. I think that goes to the uh, inexperience of judges. I think people like nowadays are, they're being handed judging jobs um, based on who they know and, you know, favors, you know, being given politically. And uh, I, I know that's how, especially, I mean, this is a Pennsylvania judge and that, that's how they kind of go about things, you know, in, in smaller boxing States um, you're going to have this of entitlement and, um, and patronage. So, you know, Atlantic City, I'm down there quite often, and I heard a lot of people were very upset because Russell didn't put up a fight. There was a lot of angry bettors who who bet him not knowing that was yeah. the case. So here, here's the big the big picture here with boxing. Fighters that are coming into fights injured, it, you have a moral compass to show up, not necessarily at your best because nobody's ever 100%, but if you have a, if you have a real injury, you know, and you're disclosing somewhat before the fight that you're coming in injured right there. I mean, you're already, you know, underwater for, for fraudulent pretenses. 
first of all, you're trying to sell the fact you're losing because of an injury. And second, of fact, you're cheating the, the paying public that's, that's actually paying for tickets and betting on the fight, thinking that, that everything's on a level. So there's a moral dilemma here that, that's being violated. And boxing has to get it, get a grip on this. Because this is, and you know, I'm a big Lomachenko fan. And if he came into that fight with Teo compromise, which he did, you know, it cost him the fight. And, and it also cost people um, that were betting the fight, not necessarily at the fight, because it was during COVID. But, but you really have a, an obligation. Same with you know, Pacquiao versus your Mayweather. We're somewhat near. I said the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and we heard Freddie Roach and Manny say, hey, we knew if we pulled out, we're never going to get the fight again. And yeah, and they're, and they're right, because Mayweather would have ran with it. He said, oh, they ducked me. It's over. I'm not going to fight them. They're right about that. So <laughs> you're really in between a rock and a hard place sometimes. So boxing has to get a hold of itself. And if the sanctioning bodies actually want to be good for boxing, they can kind of uh, have an adjunct for uh, injured fighters and, and these situations. Because let's be honest. This, this is something that happens a lot, okay? And unfortunately, in today's market, we're betting in, the, in America now is, is almost like it's sub-economy. So there was a lot of angry bettors, not only for fights in the casino this weekend, but the NFL games. If you would have saw the reactions after those NFL games, you would have thought you were in war-torn Beirut by people throwing cups, beer, <laughs> whatever. It was a free-for-all. Because yeah. people are like, this is, this is, oh my God. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you're, it's, it's, you could have went to a movie and would have left mid, mid movie because it's like, ah, this is, you know, it's so unrealistic. So boxing really needs to get a hold of itself and, and make sure these fighters are coming in at least somewhat uh, comparable to put up a fight. Because that was a dis- disgraceful performance by Russell. It really was. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I find I'm not caught earlier, but Aram, I guess, is countersuing Crawford for, for uh, um, I didn't for, hear that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise for me. For defamation. I, I, yeah. I knew. Yeah, I knew it was coming at some point, but uh, Crawford's going to be in big trouble. He really had to have something up his sleeve because, uh, yeah, those types of comments with Aram, he could turn that and say, look, now there's going to be no black fight wanting to do business with me. I already have Ray Mercer uh, coming out and saying that, uh, well, Ray Mercer said that he said that Tommy Morrison got $50,000 less in the fight, despite Ray Mercer being WBO heavyweight champ because he was white. Um, I mean, that, that was on rec that came out. I mean, now they're really, you know, coming at Bob hard. So, now he can say, hey, my business is being, my reputation and business is being affected by your frivolous lawsuit. Either come, come with something or I'm suing you. And uh, I think he has a case against Crawford unless Crawford has something like Donald Sterling up his sleeve. So with, with that being said, I'll let you go. Uh, I'd like to hear the rest of what you have to say about that and the other callers. So thanks right, a lot, thanks. Mike. Thanks, man. Yeah, with uh, Aram, it doesn't surprise me if he would counter sue and that, that situation, if Aram does counter sue, that's going to get so ugly. Um, and Aram's been here before. He's been doing this, what, for 50, 50 something years. So it's just, it's just such a, a bad decision by Crawford and his team. And I just don't quite understand what they really think they're going to get for it. Um, anyway, uh, 
Tony Nembard in the chat, um, I, I wanted to answer your question because you had asked before about Gary Antoine Russell beating uh, Jerron Boos Ennis. I think it's um, a couple points here. Ennis beat him too. It looks like Ennis beat him. They fought like three times in 2015. Um, Ennis beat him once. Russell beat him twice. These are all fights in, in Reno, uh, I guess during the trials, Olympic trials. Um, and yeah, I'm going back to 2014. Russell beat him in Vegas at the 2014 National Golden Gloves final. Here's the thing. Russell is a year older. And at that time, I want to make sure I get this right. I'm just looking at their amateur careers. So Gary Antoine Russell started fighting in the amateurs in 2010. Okay. By the it, Ennis started fighting in 2014. So by the time they these two first fought, Ennis had only had, let's see, one, two, three, four. This that was his fifth fight. So in his fifth fight, he fights Russell, loses. Russell had been fighting as an amateur for four years. So that's why I wanted to make that this point, right? And even when they fought again in 2015, they fought three more times. They fought four times and Russell won three of those fights. But Russell had been fighting by 2015. He had been fighting for five years. And Ennis had been fighting for one year in the amateurs, a year and a half. So those sorts of things matter. And that's why a lot of people put a little too much into amateur wins and, and, and stuff like that. You always have to look at the timing of that stuff. Always, always, always look at the timing. Okay, back to the phones. We got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Uh, not much. Um, Just really quick, let me just start off. Uh, I think that was Thad, right, who just called you? Thad, yeah, that was Thad. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about a point he brought up really quick where he was talking about how uh, – HBO did away with like announcing what belt or whatever was on the yeah, line. Yeah, I remember that. Guys fought I remember that. On the platform. Um, but I also wanted to say, too, the biggest issue that HBO had was going into these exclusive contracts with certain guys on their network and not making these guys accountable as far as, uh, you know, how many fights they were going to have to fight against legit top contenders. I mean, Roy Jones and Floyd Mayweather, for example, those guys basically fought a lot of guys who, for the most part, were not going to be able to beat them. And they paid them really well to fight these guys on their platform. So even though HBO might have been uh, ahead of its time, quote unquote, not announcing or giving credence to these uh, organizations for their belts, they also did some things that kind of hurt the boxing business by doing stuff like that, where they went into these exclusive deals where they really had no content control in mm -hmm. regards to certain guys that were on their platform. So they, they, they had, they, they had their good uh, points, but then they also had their, you know, issues as well. So, you know, we got, we got to look at it that way in that HBO, even though they did certain things, right. They also did certain things that looked bad on their part. <clears throat> and then also, um, just in regards to the fights, because, I mean, it wasn't really uh, a huge uh, card. Um, I thought Lucas got robbed against Tug. I thought he should have gotten that knockdown that Claudio screwed up. And then what mm, was really right, galling right. was when they showed him the replay. When they showed him the replay after, 
and Claudio literally can see that it's a knockdown, and he proceeds to tell Jim Gray, oh, that's a slip. I don't know what you're talking about. You can see that he literally falls down, and he literally falls down, and he doesn't get hit. When you can clearly see Lucas hit him with a with a shot right on the jaw, and he goes down right after getting hit on the jaw. So I was like, come on. I forgot, like, I forgot to mention like, that. Yeah, you're right. And I think that yeah, would have changed like, it to a win for... To a win for Lucas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you're you're right. He got screwed, man. Yeah, and now he's not going to get another shot at Tug because I'm sure Tug was, doesn't uh, give him a, another shot. So, you know, this is what, the kind of stuff that can screw a poor guy from making a name for himself. And then a guy like Lucas, he's 37 years old. When's he going to get another shot? Yeah. on a big-time card again in America. You know, and see, this is what sucks sometimes about guys who are the B-side. They end up getting screwed for no reason uh, out of their uh, hands. And it's just really unfortunate. Um, and then with uh, the, the the fight of the night with Matias and Anayan, man, that was a hell of a fight. They just both went back and forth. Um, unfortunately, uh, Anayan just got broken at the end. He took a lot of shots. And eventually, Matias wore him down and broke him. And, uh, you know, they, they stopped it. The only thing, Mike, is I think we should give a lot more credit to the doctor for telling the ref to stop the fight. Because, honestly, the way the corner was acting in the Nyan's corner, they were acting like they were going to send him back out. Mm -hmm. And I thought after he got knocked down, you could clearly see that dude was done. Mm -hmm. He had nothing left to give. I, I don't understand how they were thinking about legitimately sending that dude back out. I mean, that's crazy. So I give all the credit for to the doctor for Good stopping point. that fight. I don't give any credit to the coroner because they looked like they were ready to send him back out until she pulled the plug on it. Uh, but that's a hell of a win for Mat Matias. PBC doesn't have a whole lot of options at 140, so I'm just curious who they keep him busy with until Josh Taylor either decides mm. to fight him as a mandatory or if he vacates and moves up to 47 uh for matias to get a title shot because who knows when that's going to be we don't know how long taylor's going to stick around at 40 after the catterall fight and then uh with the main event uh the biggest thing that bugs me mike about the the the, the cards is that you can clearly see that these judges you know were scoring the fight the way they did because russell was the a-side I mean, he is technically the home fighter because, you know, he's the champ. He's fighting almost a hometown fight because Atlantic City is not that far away from Washington, D.C. So technically it was like a hometown fight yeah. for Russell. And it seemed like they, they bent over backwards to give him the every benefit of a doubt. There's no way Russell won five, five rounds on two cards and then six on the other. That's insane. The way I had that fight scored, I thought, I thought Max Sayo, won that fight legitimately uh, nine to three. I couldn't justify giving Russell more than three rounds. I'm sorry. Like like you said, you score every round individually. You don't score it as a whole, you know, the entire fight. Like you have to score every round individually. And I just thought that um, Magsayo did enough to win the overwhelming majority of the rounds. I mean, mm -hmm. and the other thing that really bugs me too, Mike, is especially how the commentators, and not just on Showtime, on other platforms as well, why is it that when a guy is ultra defensive, 
And yeah, he doesn't get hit, but at the same time, he's not being aggressive. He's on the back foot, and he's not pumping out a whole lot of offense. How do the the commentators and, and on all of these platforms sit there and say that? Well, that guy didn't really get hit, and he landed a couple shots, so we automatically have to give him the round. I mean, I don't think you should necessarily dictate that a round be scored in that manner. Um, I just think sometimes these uh, these commentators, they get caught up in the whole, well, he's not really getting hit, so he, he won the round just based on that. And it's like, no, that's not just the only part of the criteria when you score a round. Like, a guy can't be you know, on the back foot and being defensive and negative all night. And then all of a sudden you just say, oh, okay, well, he won that round because he didn't get hit. That's not how it works. Uh, That's only part of the criteria. You can't just base it solely on that point. And I just think a lot of times with guys like Russell, they tend to take that into way into too much favor on, on the part of guys like Russell. You give them too much credit for doing that. And that's not the way it should work. It should work like Magsayo landed hard shots to the body for the most part all night. And Russell wasn't really able to land a whole hell of a lot throughout that fight. He landed the occasional straight left, but he wasn't throwing combinations. He wasn't throwing multiple punches at at any time. Like, you know, one and done doesn't get it done in a round. Like, you can't do that. There's no way that landing one shot and then being defensive and not getting hit all of a sudden constitutes you winning rounds, um, according to some of these guys. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm just glad that Maxayo got the benefit of the doubt and won. Now, hopefully, he'll be active and he'll defend the belt. <clears throat> like someone said, I have a feeling that if Santa Cruz wins uh, next week, I think that probably is going to be the next fight they try to set up so that it's a unification on their part. But like I told you on Twitter, Mike, I think um, I think Navarrete chops up all these other title holders in the division. Yeah. He beats all of these guys. I don't think any of the I don't think any of these guys, Santa Cruz, Kiko, or or Magsayo, can hold a candle to Navarrete. I think he's the cream of the crop in that division, and I think he would beat all of them if they legitimately faced him. But I don't think they will. Maybe he gets Kiko before uh, he leaves twenty six. But who knows? Sometimes politics and and these promoters do their best to keep guys away from other guys, and then we don't get to see the fights that we want to define who's the best in the division. But, you know, oh, well, it's nothing new in boxing, unfortunately. All right, Mike. That's All right, call. man. All right, thanks a lot, Nacho. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I saw a super chat there. Well, a couple comments. Um Going back to the amateurs thing, I want to make sure that I hit on this. Uh, the Real Deal said, um, if you look at, you know, the box rec amateur records, that could be misleading. They don't count all of them. There. Yeah, they don't count most amateur fights in, in a lot of cases, especially guys overseas. But American fighters, if you fight in a national tournament, the Golden Gloves, uh, stuff like that, it's on there, right? So, so <clears throat> that kind of stuff, like the 2014 Golden Gloves, and I want to say 2014, 2015 Golden Gloves, uh, both those guys fought in them. That stuff's on there. It's just, you know, Russell did start his amateur career younger, and he was a year older. But just a lot more developed in experience when they fought. So I don't put that much stock 
into Russell beating Ennis. It it looks good, but does that necessarily mean it's going to translate to the pro game? No, not at all. Uh, Sam A with another super chat. Thank you. He says, Matthias has had too many brawls. Short career reminds me of Provodnikov. He never blocks a shot. Great talent, but too many brawls will do him in. Yeah, I got to say, though, man, you know, as far as potential opponents, I think a fight between him and Regis Progray, if Progray wanted to stay at 140, that shit would be fun as hell. I don't know if it could happen, but that'd be fun as hell. All right, back to the phones. I think we're going to Canada here. I believe this is Chad. Correct me if I'm wrong. What's up? You're on the show. Hey. Oh, hey, Mike. How are you, man? Good. How are you? I'm good, brother. So uh, I just wanted to, you know, Nacho uh, really hit on a few points that I was thinking about, too, as far as, like, my mind after this weekend, after the Mexayo fight, really goes to the judging and the scoring. And it seems like every two or three months, we get a fight like this where either it's close or maybe there's something controversial about it. And when you hit social media, you know, people have all these crazy takes about uh, the result, about what they think the scoring should have been, the judging should have been. And to me, the biggest problem with the way this fought, uh, the fight was judged and the, the result from these judges is that it gives credit it gives you know it gives backbone to people with all these crazy takes about what a fight like this looked like to them how they saw the scoring how they saw the result and uh you know like obviously mixio won but the, the idea that uh that russell somehow was as close to as a draw is just crazy to me. Like I wasn't actually scoring the fight while I watched, but in my mind, there's no way Russell took, I mean, four rounds would have been a gift. There's just no way he took more than that. Three, maybe two rounds. And, uh, I just, I don't understand it, Mike. I don't understand it. Like in my mind, the, the, the main factor in scoring these fights has got to be punches landed clean landed punches maybe you want to look at if they're effective or not but you've got these guys that are thinking that somehow defense or even generalship can can win a round and uh in my mind if a round is really close in terms of of uh shots then sure we're gonna go look at defense we'll look at some other areas of the round to try and make the difference but I mean, am I crazy here? Like, are these judges, are these judges just seeing the fight like really crazy? Or do you think they're using things like defense to legitimately decide who wins a round? No, the way it's supposed to work is there's four scoring criteria. And this has been explained. To, fans know this. It's um, aggression, defense, ring generalship. But the biggest criteria is punching and it's supposed to be clean effective punching whose punches are affecting their opponent more and yes russell was making maxayo miss plenty he missed a lot especially with the jab his jab i think he landed like 11 of 200 jabs or something he was literally just flicking the jab out there as a range finder 
Um, and so Maxeo missed a lot, but he also landed twice as much. And his punches, uh, power punching, especially to the body, were harder and more effective than Russell's. That's it. Now, Russell had some nice counter left hands, but they were few and far in between. It wasn't enough to win the majority of the rounds. And I don't know why that would be confusing for anybody. I think they're getting caught up in the fact that he was doing it with one hand. And it doesn't change how you score around. If one guy is being inspirational, hey, it doesn't change how you score around. Exactly. That's well said. Exactly. Like, you can go in there and hop around on one leg. It doesn't change how the, the sport is uh, judged or scored. I just, uh, I find it really frustrating because um, you've got people that are basing their opinions on the sport and on fights with, um, with these kind of takes. And uh, so that's where I, I kind of draw a line for with social media. Like I do love going on social media, seeing what people have to say, trying to get the inside scoop from guys like yourself or fighters. But man, there's a lot of frustration out there too. Like to see uh, oh, yeah. what people are saying. It drives Welcome me crazy. Welcome to my world. <laughs> the only, oh yeah. No, I know you, you live in that. I get it. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say too is uh, regarding Maxayo saw a lot of people saying that a lot there was a lot of people saying that he should have you know uh knocked out russell he should have tried to knock out russell um you know he should that that somehow you know he was i even heard people saying that he was um giving russell consideration like he didn't want to hurt him Mm -hmm. or something like that and uh it's really not what i saw at all the the early rounds i thought mcsile looked really focused and um and sharp i thought he looked good and once the injury became apparent so the fourth round or whatever it was i actually thought to myself that i i thought oh man something's differing here he he looked the plan had changed and i was thinking to myself i'll bet you any money his corners told him like all right this is it like go in there and get him now because he looked all of a sudden to me really unfocused and his uh, shots started to look kind of sloppy. And it looked uh, a few times he would go in on the kill. And, of course, Russell was like a ghost, you know. Like his movement was on another level. So, yeah, he was missing. And, and, and then it looked like, to me, like he was gassed out at different points, McSayo. I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of thought that that's what he was trying to do. And I thought it was to his own detriment. Like I, I kind of wished he had just uh, stayed focused um, just, you know, uh, stayed in there with nice, clean shots, uh, consistent, consistent pressure, and focus on anything he could do to fire off that left, you know, and uh, hopefully hit his arm, hit anything he could on uh, that damaged side. But, like, uh, I didn't see it that way. I mean, obviously he did enough to win and everything. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to kind of put that out there. I hear what you're saying, man. I think Maxeo made some poor decisions and did not fight particularly well, especially down the stretch. But he his his aggression, although it may not have been effective all the time, it was effective enough to win the round. So he won the fight. Um, he can learn from this. He can get better. But, you know, yeah, that remains to yeah. be seen. No, definitely, definitely, Mike. Well, listen, I'll let you go. Take some other calls, and uh, we'll talk to you later, Mike. Thanks. All right, thanks a lot, Chad. Okay, bye.
All right, let's go to let's go to California. Eight one eight. We're gonna go to Van Nuys. You're on the show. What's going on? California, 818. We're going to go to Van Nuys. You're on the show. What's going on? Hello. Hello. Yeah, you're on the show. What's up? How you doing, man? It's Mike. This is Carlos. Carlos. Carlos, can you turn off your whatever you're listening on, uh, your computer or whatever? Because I'm hearing the the, um, the delay back in my headphones. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. All right. Awesome, awesome, man. You know what? I just wanted to uh, call and touch on uh, Matias, man. To be honest with you, I, I feel like he he's pretty game, and I, I I feel like he would be in really good fights against the top, whether it be Taylor, whether it be Ramirez, or like you said, uh, uh, or Progre, mm-hmm. Regis, however, however you spell his last name or pronounce his last name. Um, you know what? Even though he lost against the Armenian guy the first time around, I feel like maybe he was in just he was just not in his head um, that first fight. Because if I'm not mistaken, that was his first fight after the Dadashev incident, and I feel like that might have caused him some. That's a good point. I don't know. Maybe he was. He wasn't quite confident. right in the head, right? He was still a little. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can only imagine what that what that does. Like we always think of, obviously, somebody passes away in the ring the immediate concern is the family and everything but i feel like things like that definitely have an impact on the fighter yeah yeah i agree with you man. yeah and as far as far i know somebody said that he, he gets into a a lot of brawls and takes too much punishment to be honest with you i really don't think this was a brawl but i feel like when he does get in these brawls it's more of him dishing out the punishment as opposed to taking it so i don't i don't think i don't think uh he's taken that much damage up until this point yeah that's another good point he, he i mean most of this he does take punches but he definitely lands a lot more than he takes right he, he's doled out some punishment several of his when he wins he breaks dudes down that's what i've seen yeah like in all honesty i feel like ramirez when he gets in brawls has taken more punishment than matias has Obviously, yeah. the competition's not the same, but but he, he, I feel Ramirez takes more punishment. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. And I think of his fight with like Zapata, fights like that. Obviously, Taylor, um, he took a lot of punches in those fights, man. Definitely. Also, I know that somebody mentioned the 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 knockdown and how uh, it takes away opportunities from individuals uh, like the one who lost, and I definitely agree. The only thing is, honestly, in this case, I really don't blame the ref that much just because he was in a really bad position to see that punch land. He was right in back of uh, uh, King Tut when he, when, they land, when he landed that punch. And even when, the, when, you, when, you, when you see the replay and that's the best angle, you can kind of see that the back leg kind of slides off. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination, I feel, from, from that positioning and the punch. Granted, it, it was a knockdown, but I feel like maybe the ref deserves a pass. And then being put on the spot, to be honest with you, that, that kind of probably threw, threw the ref off. And that's why he just kind of he, – he didn't handle that pressure very well. Yeah, I just think that there should be instant replay. S- some commissions do it, but I think every commission should do it. <clears throat> and the ring officials outside the ring that can see what's going on, if the ref misses it, they should go over to the ref and – 
every every in between rounds they should do instant replay and just check on stuff like that because um you know again if that's called a knockdown that changes the result of the fight and it really changes a man's life you know what i'm saying uh that that's huge so they we just need instant replay yeah wbc does that and and i feel like that that is that is good definitely yeah all right, Mike. Well, that's my call, man. Appreciate right, th- you. Thanks a lot, Carlos. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. You as well. All right. Um, I'm trying to think. You hit on everything, man. Yeah, I just, you know, a lot of good points, guys, about the, the Russell fight. Um, it, it is interesting to me that he's kind of become this, this sympathetic figure for a lot of people. Um, the, the truth is, and again, as a human being, I like Gary. And I, and I, you know, I know he's been through a lot, you know, everything going on with his father, his father's health, his father losing a leg and, and other things that he's gone through, but, and then him fighting with one arm. I, I, I get all of that. I truly do. And fighters avoiding him because they do. I, I get all of that. It still doesn't change how you score a fight. You still have to score a fight accordingly. And we've all had poor scorecards. I've had scorecards that I walked back later and I was like, you know, I did that eh, wasn't my best scorecard. We've all had those. You're allowed to have, you know, th- those sorts of things as a human being. But I-, I think anybody that would look at this situation objectively, I want to say it was King Doc here in the chat that was saying, um, you know, hey, Maxeo won that fight, but I want to see a rematch. Cool. That's exactly how I feel. You know, one guy clearly won the fight, but the truth is, Russell was injured, and it makes you wonder, if Russell was 100%, would Maxeo have fought differently? Because here's the truth, guys. The first two, three rounds before Russell got hurt, I thought Maxeo was still winning. I thought he was still winning the fight, even before the injury got bad. So it, it seemed to me Maxeo got really, really careless and changed his tactics later in the fight. So I think the injury mentally affected him. Um, Russell was a hundred percent defensive, no offense. You know, um, it, it, it's hard to land punches clean on a fighter. That's a hundred percent defensive. So a, a rematch, I think would look a lot different. And, um, I think it'd be a, a fascinating fight. Uh, so maybe that could happen at the same time. If Maxeo ends up fighting Leo Santa Cruz, I'd welcome that. But you know what I really want to see? <clears throat> Forget the belts. Win, lose, or draw, it well, if if we, whatever Santa Cruz does, he should win his fight coming up in, in a week or so. I want to see him and Gary Russell fight because Leo Santa Cruz avoided Gary Russell for years, and it's about damn time they make that fight. And I, I know for a fact Gary would have fought Leo. Wasn't necessarily mutual, though. I'd, so I'd like to see that one. All right. Great show, guys. Great show. And we'll have a show Friday on my channel, Ontario Unboxing. We'll do the Friday wrap-up. And uh, we'll see what happens with this rumor shit about Anthony Joshua. 15 million pounds to not fight. I'm not buying it. All right, guys. Have a great night. And I will see you at the fights. Peace.